We're one. What what are we? One fifteen. One sixteen. We're one fifteen. We're 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 grinding our way through the lower one hundreds. <laughs> Last week, John, you were having a whole bunch of issues with um, UI Collection View, but um, you, you found a solution? I did. I was, I, I was in fact, banging my head against the wall, and then when I stopped banging my head against the wall, I said, ouch, 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 and then uh, I guess the solution dawned on me. Um, so in the spirit of, of happiness, I'll tell what my problem is and, and, and give a link in the show notes about how I solved it. So... Uh, in in a in an updated version of Finder, we wanted to make it very obvious that you could swipe left or right in order to to scroll horizontally through items, right? And uh, so it's very easy to set up a a collection view, and it's very easy to make the collection view, which is itself a scroll view, be page, so you can have essentially show one item at a time. But the the UX challenge is how to make it obvious uh, to the user that there's something else to see. So you know the the most obvious way to do it is to copy Facebook which always shows a bit of the item that's to the right available. And then once you, you know, swipe, you know, to the left and and, and the item zero goes to, you know, to be off the, on the left-hand side of the screen, you can see it, it peeking out from the left-hand side and the next item peeking in from the, the right-hand side. And uh, the, the trick, in fact, was... Uh, I had gotten a hint from, from Stack Overflow about using a negative uh, uh, line spacing which is kind of like a trick that's done all the time in the world of CSS to, to align things center in, in, in a web page. Um, and then in order to have the, the, the actual spacing or, or there appear to be spacing between the items, the, the, the collection view cells are actually touching each other. They're all just shifted to the left. You just basically basically make a transparent background for, for your collection view cell. And then you have a you know, kind of quote unquote live area in the middle which it has a solid background, so you can actually see it and then put whatever you want within there. Um, and I gave it rounded corners in, in, in the code that I, in, in the app that I was working on, but uh, I actually did something good for the universe and uh, put it up as a little tester app on GitHub. So um, I, that will hopefully someday save somebody a little bit of pain and trouble, and I will have paid forward all, you know, a tiny portion of all I've gotten from the universe. There's, um, uh, did you have that feeling of being the complete master of the universe when you sort of wrestled the solution out for yourself? Well, I did. I, I yeah, not really. I will say this. You know, I had asked people. You know, after a while, I will. I'll. I'll try to solve a problem. My feeling is is that you know certainly somebody already has solved it. So at least the clues should be out there. And I looked and I looked and I looked and it was just not getting it right. And um, so then I said, well, let's ask people who are smarter than me. And that's pretty much the rest of the planet. Um, but I did ask some rather smart people, uh, including my friend Jeppy. Um, and uh, he asked, in turn, some people that he knows who should really know. And they said, oh, no, it can't be done, not even with, with private API. Um, and then I sent it to him. And he goes, ah, genius. So that made me feel good. You know, I mean, he, was, he was lying. But uh, it, it, uh, sometimes you just have to kind of use brute force and stupidity, you know, in, in a way I shouldn't have had to do it. I shouldn't have to, to, you know, kind of change the behavior of my collection view cell. And I should be, in other words, I should be able to easily have spacing in between my collection view cells and not have to kind of calculate a collection view cell, which has an inner, inner area, but you know, it works and it works fine. It's really no big deal because, you know, 
that the collection view is loaded from a zip file and it's very easy to edit it and it makes it very, very clear visually how to adjust the margin because you just modify it in, in, in Interface Builder rather than kind of having to, to look at numbers and code and, and run it and see how much, you know, change the value, rerun it and say, is that right? No, nudge it a little bit more. I think it's easier to do this type of thing in Interface Builder. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I felt happy. I felt stupid for having wasted as much time as I did. Oh, but isn't that always the way with problem solving? That the problem, the solution to the problem never turns out to be, oh no, I won't say never because that's a stupid thing. A lot of the time, the solutions to the problem never turns out to be as complex as the search for the problem was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or the search for the solution, should I say. Yeah, I don't want to search for the problem I find those. So, okay, just, just a side issue. Well, firstly, you know, congratulations on, on finding the problem. It's always nice to sound like we're making progress on this show. Yeah. Um, and I've just been to the GitHub site, which uh, other than having a very nice photo of you on there, John, yeah. um, I see this is your first uh, published open source on GitHub, or at least on this account anyway. Maybe you have another secret account somewhere. So did, did you think this through or did you just decide to do it anyway about suddenly making your code public to the world and, and all the critique it might get and, and, and look at? Or was it, hey, I'm just going to stick it up there and you've not thought about that yet? Uh, well, how do I feel? You know, there's, there's really nothing to it. I mean, it, 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 it's really nothing more than a gist. I mean, I don't know. It, 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 I just wanted to make something complete. That's something that, that is, you know, I spent a little bit extra time adding little comments that explain why it works. And, um, you know, just a starting example that people can get it out, you know, clone it, run it, they see ah, it works, and they should be able to just to, literally, they could take that same zip file and take that same little setup code and, and be on their way. So I just tried to make it very, very easy. Um, and I, I, it's it's more just, you know, I hope it's helpful to somebody, that's all. Cool, well, that's very generous of you, John. And let's, let's talk about someone else who's very generous, and that's our friends from Martian Craft. Yep. Ah, they're sponsoring us again this week, John, and uh, with their product, Briefs. Now, you can check out Briefs at giveabrief.com. If you're a regular listener to the show, you're going to know all about Briefs already. So if you haven't been to check it out yet, please do go check it out. Download a trial. Uh, give it a go um, and, and, and see what you think and let us know even. Um, if you've not been listening to the show for a while or you just ignore these spots and this is the first time you're listening to one, Briefs is a Mac application that allows you to design your app uh, with not only its look, but with its feel. So you can uh, set up navigation and buttons and the way they shift between screens. And then what you do is you can take that and you can download it to the Briefs app on a phone and then launch it. It'll be like the mock-up of your application is now running on the phone. And all the buttons will take you through to the next mock-up and back and all that sort of thing. And what that does is that allows you to really get a feel for um, how, how your app is going to be on the phone. And it's often not until you get it onto a device, you see something, you feel it, that you pick up problems that you just don't pick up on from a straight Photoshop um, drawing. Well, for someone like me, you definitely do because you, know, you could sort of sit there and you know, think you can see all the issues with a Photoshop drawing. But yeah, not always... a not always easy so it's called briefs it's really great if you like it it's 199 bucks worth every single penny um so go check out the trial at uh, giveabrief.com and uh, thanks to the guys at martian craft the producers of brief for sponsoring the show again briefs make your app flow smooth like snoop dog
Yeah, we'll have to check out that tagline with them, John. I'm not really sure what they think about that. Um, yeah, you should, you should ask them. You should say, yeah, Scotty, we're happy to sponsor you. Would you kill your co-host? He's just a dumbass. Well, it might not only be the sponsors that say that, but never mind. Oh! <laughs> I'm so mean. I'm joking. I am joking. Uh, John, last week um, I was talking about uh, my um, sort of journeys with a NoSQL database and uh, had a couple of um, responses to that, really, um, which I can't go through more, but I'll just pick up one email I got here from, because I thought it was quite cool, uh, from a, a guy, I think it's a guy called Yoram. If you're not a guy, Yoram, I totally apologise. Um, and if your name isn't pronounced Yoram, I totally apologise. And for anything else I'm about to say that you don't like, I totally apologise. Okay, um, it says, uh, Dear John and Scotty, uh, imagine you have one million drivers or users uh, that like your custom Ferrari service. So I was liking this already. Uh, where they can open the garage door and get in a matter of seconds a unique Ferrari that suits all weathers, numbers of people they want to seat today, daily mood, colour, mileage, efficiency based on destination and the day of the trip, etc. <gasps> but you used a NoSQL database! And assembling the garage with the car for each user for each scenario is impossible. You cannot hold every variation of the car for each one of your users. However, using a relational database, return your users the exact car they need in a couple of seconds. And boy, they are satisfied. I like when people put uh, examples in of things, John. Mm. Um, and I totally agree. And I can't remember if we spoke about this uh, last week, but... Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think some of the things that happen, and this happens with languages, it happens with uh, frameworks, is that people um, think that new is better, and sometimes that's true. Um, and you know, but I don't think the NoSQL database movement um, or the NoSQL database space that's being currently a sort of a, the newest area in this technology. Uh, is about being better. It's about being different for different things, and I and I totally agree with Yoram here that if if you, everything you're going to be doing your application is primarily driven by the relationships between data, uh, or, or lots and lots and lots of different relationships between lots and lots of different data, then you know that's not what a NoSQL database is is designed for in any way at all. Um, you know, funny enough, one of the best things to deal with relationships is a relational database, <laughs> which is, yeah, more our, our traditional databases of MySQL, PostgreSQL, um, you, know, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, however, if you, um, a NoSQL database is more about dealing with, um, I, I view it as, as, as documents where something is far more, um, isolated as data on its own so say somebody's um dealing with you know your customer records for somebody where you've got all their purchase transactions and and this sort of stuff and actually the way you access that data is always about the customer it's always about that customer's data together um and another thing they often call you know a lot of the NoSQL databases is document databases it's about storing documents about things and you can embed documents in documents and again, for there, that's something that actually uh, relational databases, it's not that they're no good at, but they make it a lot of work to get the data you need for actually what is your regular inquiry all the time about stuff. And so it's about, um, uh, yeah, so I just want to say this because I was saying I was looking at NoSQL databases, 
and uh, yeah, they're fun because they're new-ish, sort of five or six years now, I guess, uh, and trendy. That that doesn't mean they are better at everything, but they are good at some things. And um, so, uh, but thanks, Joram, for for coming back, and I totally agree with you. And um, I hope your custom Ferrari building service. Uh, if you need a beta tester. <laughs> um, <laughs> Then I'm here, uh, and, and more than willing to travel for the uh, for the testing purposes. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, talking about uh, the the NoSQL databases, I am. Um, I'm currently doing some stuff with MongoDB, and uh, this week I was sitting down. I needed to do some geolocation stuff in in the things I'm working on, um, and I was wondering how am I going to do this, and and looking at actually some of the relational issues of of working out if something is near something or not something based on some uh, location data that would be in the database and um, sort of just thought, well, let's see what, you know, if there's any information out there on the, the interwebs about people who've done this before, particularly using uh, Mongo as a back end. Um, was really, really pleased to discover that Mongo has really great built-in um, geolocation services. Um and I'll link to a video I watched on it uh, from one of the Mongo conferences, uh, especially, I think, if you were using Mongo 2.4 or above, um, where literally it's all built in and you can stick a pair of uh, longitude, latitude. It doesn't have to be, but basically it's a, a pair of data, point data into your document um, or, or multiple points data. Uh, and you can literally issue a query um, against the database, against against that field in the document saying, um, you know, query this collection based on this field, and I want to know if it's within 10 miles of this location. Uh, return all the things that are in 10 miles of this location, and it will do that, and it will return them in distance order automatically. And I thought, that is so cool. That is nice. <laughs> and uh, the, the you can index, you can have geo-based indexes. Um, they've created a special type of index for geodata, um, so you can have whether it's a point or a line and stuff like that because you can store lines in the database which are multiple points um, and there's lots of queries for where lines intersect if you're storing a database of lines you can have queries that work out where they intersect and don't intersect um, and you're just thinking you know this is really really cool stuff and I could have sat down for for a long time and tried to work out how to do you know, this sort of stuff when actually it was in the product I was using all the time. So sometimes reading the manual <laughs> or going to the product website and do some searching is really worthwhile. Now, I haven't worked on this stuff yet and I don't know, you know, so I'm talking basically based, uh, basically based, that's um, something wrong with that sentence somewhere. Uh, basically, I'm talking about what it can theoretically do and what people are saying it's do. And yes, I'm now going to get loads of emails that people say there are other problems with Mongo and I've read all that stuff as well. Um, but uh, I'm sort of quite looking forward to playing with that because it sounds really good. Well, that is good. So I guess we kind of have to subtitle this this uh, episode RTFM or something, right? Yeah. Well, I think it will be actually because because that's where you want to uh, uh, again as well. Um, John, I've actually agreed to do a second sponsor this week. It's not something we normally do, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. Um, uh, just this week, because I want to, because um, it's our friends from Rem Objects, and we know that they were around for a very, very long time. And I uh, just want to give a shout out to the Data Abstract product, because I spoke about it on a show a few weeks ago. Remember, I was talking about how I was using their briefcase modeling tool um, to, to in an app I'm, I'm developing uh, for storing local data. Uh, but it, it does, does far more than that. Data Abstract is basically a way of accessing 
uh, client server data in the cloud and instead of having to go through a REST API and uh, deal with calling over HTTP yourself or HTTPS and certificates and having to then parse JSON and deparse JSON and um, all that sort of stuff. Deparse? Did I just say deparse? Did I really just say deparse? You Never did. Ignore that, ignore that statement. Uh, parsing JSON, all that stuff. Um, all that goes on inside Data Abstracts and actually they use a, a compressed binary format as well, which makes it far more efficient. And you can literally just um, issue queries against your client. Um, uh, end of the data abstract product a, a table class um, against stuff uh, tables in your client server database that are out in the cloud and it will deal with all the remoting it will deal with all the compactness it will deal with making sure it only sends back so much data and so many records it wants for paging so that you don't you know sort of end up swamping the 3g thing a thing on the line and it takes all that away and i know that i mean jason and REST APIs are all the big thing at the moment, and they do make lots of stuff easy. But again, once again, it's not necessarily the best way of, of doing something. If you've got to get your MySQL or your Postgres database on your on your server, then you've then got to write um, the API on your uh, you know using Node or Rails or PHP or something like that to take that data and turn it into JSON. Then you've got to write your client end stuff. Um, I guess if you're just the client end developer and, and, and you've got someone else doing all the other stuff, that could feel quite cool. Um, but when you're doing everything, then a product like this really does take away a lot of work. It's been it's it's a, quite an old product now. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, and so basically it's not about making it work for them anymore. It's about making it more efficient and faster and more compact. Uh, and it's really worth uh, looking at. So if you're looking at having to store some data in the cloud, and uh, you, know, you know, then access it across the wire, um, then you really should go and take a look at uh, Data Abstract by uh, Rem Objects, which you can find at remobjects.com slash DA. Um, and it's cool stuff, and it works on a whole bunch of different platforms, but they write everything natively. So if you're using doing it for Cocoa, it's um, a native um, uh, set of classes all written in Cocoa, uh, Objective-C and Cocoa. You were about to say something, John. I was going to have to ask, do they, do, they, they, do they offer service? So you can say, okay, great, this sounds wonderful. I like the efficiencies. I like the fact that they're thinking about this, um, uh, squeezing every last bit of efficiency. But if you want to store data, you you still have to, to run your own server somewhere, or do they now offer that as a platform? No, there's no, uh, it's not a current platform offering. Um, I don't know if that's something that will come along or not come along. Um, I couldn't can't comment on that. Um, there is a whole bunch of stuff there to just make throwing your server uh, up as easy as possible. So basically, for example, um, in the latest releases out now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could just fire up an AWS, um, an EC2 wow. instance in no time at all and have it all working. Um, but what, one of the nice cool things is is, is you run... You can write custom servers if you want to, but obviously a lot of people don't want to. They just want access to their data. So you run a product called Relativity Server, uh, which is what your app connects to, uh, and that connects to the database. So the whole idea is you have a middle-tier technology. And the middle-tier, because almost every database driver in the world um, is designed for accessing data on a high-bandwidth local area network. Um, so when you when you have your MySQL client, your Postgres client, they're all all designed for accessing the data. They they take no consideration of bandwidth or anything like that at all. 
Um, so the idea of sticking the middle tier in the relatively serv relativity server is that queries the database locally, and then it deals with everything you need by the fact that you're running across the wire uh, further away. But one of the nice things about that is, well, is it runs off um, schemas. So actually you can put a schema into your relativity server that only gives access to the appropriate tables or even the appropriate sections of tables or the appropriate data in tables in your main database, whereas your other database on, you know, the main stuff on the server can, can do its other stuff. So actually you can add a level of security in there automatically over your database. Um, you can also build store procedures that appear as tables and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, so there, but you do have to throw that up yourself, but the process is really easy. Um, but uh, as for whether there's a demand for people to do it in the cloud, because I guess this is quite a popular thing at the moment, in the cloud, isn't it? It is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good question that um, I, I'm actually, I might raise with them. Um, I do work some work for, you know, I work with REM objects on certain things and do some evangelism work for them. So, you know, when I say speak to them, I can speak to them quite quickly. So, you know, totally open there. Um uh, and they're a really cool bunch of guys, so I just wanted to give them a shout out because I thought we'd give them a pro because I was using their stuff uh, the other week. But anyway, talking about stuff in the cloud, John, um, you've been playing with something new again this week, haven't you? Yeah, you know, uh, there there are a number of these, you know, so called back end of the service platform as a service, BAS, POS, SAS, all these silly acronyms. But uh, uh, there is a project that I, I worked on many, many years ago, uh, this thing called Mightyverse, and I built a, a Mac app, which is still in use today for recording uh, different foreign language phrases that are particularly kind of highly idiomatic. They're short, they're entertaining, and uh, it's basically, if you're interested in learning a, a bit about a culture, a great way of doing it, of course, is through the language and learning the, the interesting different little phrases, which can be highly regional and are changing all the time. And uh, so this 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 back end, or sorry, the, you know the 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 Mac client that I wrote, uh, it's venerable. It's been a long time around, and it it was designed to talk uh, XML actually to a a, a Rails back end because it's it's that old, and. Uh, they said, hey, you know, we should really kind of make a version of it for iPhone. And I was saying that as well. So I said, well, I'll take it on as a kind of a, a fun side project because I, I like it that much. And uh, so they, they, they have a Rails backend. And I guess the, 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 and it's perfectly great. It's wonderful. But the, the person who works on it doesn't have a whole ton of time. They have very limited time. And so kind of if you want to make some changes to it, I'm kind of stuck. Uh, trying to 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 say, hey, can you make those changes and 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 get on the queue? Um, and so I had played around with Parse, uh, which is one of the the popular uh, backends as a service, and they were they had been acquired by Facebook, I guess, about a year ago, and they kind of came back on my radar because there was the Facebook F eight concert uh, conference, and uh, they were making a really big push with it because they had 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 even tighter integration with Facebook, which is you know kind of easy to imagine. And they just basically wanted to say, look, there are all these people out there in the world that have an app idea. And, and if you do need, you know, if you're writing any type of mobile app, you do need a back end. And even if you want to have a web front end to it, the way that you can architect it is kind of treat a web client in the same way that you would a mobile client that you have. Ultimately, what is under the wire, a JSON, you know, RESTful API, but they just make it brain dead simple to get started with it. So I was playing around with it and, and it's kind of funny because you know, you can, I guess the most attractive thing about it is that it is just so well done and so easy. I mean, you just go to the website and the layout of the webpage, the animation, the getting started, all the examples are just so nicely done that, that it just, it eases you in. I mean, like, even if you had no interest in the service at all, 
you know, just looking at it to see how they onboard a client is something you could learn from, even if you were trying to, to figure out how to make your out, you know, first run experience better. But if you are actually do need this back end as a service, one that's really nice about it is that uh, they have, you know, in order to, 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 to use a backend service, you always have this kind of chicken and egg problem. In order to test it, you need to have some data. And in order to get the data in, you know, you, 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 you may be trying to make your, your client able to kind of create the, the, the instances that you want and then store them. So they have a, a web-based data viewer so you can design your schema as easily as if you were you know, setting up a spreadsheet or setting up something in, in FileMaker, which is brain dead, stupid easy. Um, and then they have it very nicely set up with, with the initialization. You know, this is what you need to do in your app, app delegate. And you literally copy and paste the code, which has the, the, the client secret and whatnot in it. Um, and then all the examples are just really, really simple. And, and what, what seems to have changed a little bit is that it was all based around this thing called PF object, which was essentially just, it's, it's an NS object with a dictionary attached to it. And then you can stuff values into the dictionary and then you say, save them, right? And it's all block-based uh, API. So you save objects and then you, you, it will execute your block when it's done either successfully or with an error. And uh, one of the things that they changed is, is uh, you know, they, they, they face the problems like, well, you may already have an existing app and you may already have some existing model classes and how can you adapt them to, to, to persist in their back end? And that's what I found interesting is they, they did some things that you can implement. Uh, you just can in include this class and you can make it very easy to essentially make your model class kind of compatible with, with their PF object class and you can make the construction of the objects a lot easier. And instead of having to set value for key for them, you can just basically, you know, do some magic um, where you just have your regular objects where you call your setters on them. And when it comes time to, to persist it, all you have to, it, it's pretty easy to, to, to kind of get the data in the representation that is needed to, to save it. And, and, and because of that, they, there's even some third party projects that said, if you want to sync your core data based application using parse as a backend, here's a, a way of doing it. So, I mean, the mechanics of it aren't, aren't, terribly interesting. I mean, they are, if, if you, you care about this stuff, the reason why I found it interesting is that I don't really care about it. Why? Because I've done it. I built it on the server in three or four different, you know, implementations, starting with web objects. And I've built, you know, implementations in rails and, and, and even played around with, with Node.js. And, and, and after a while, I already know how to do it. And I'm similar. I've done my own kind of persistent layers on, on, on the client side. And so there's no real big challenge for me to, to figure out how to do it. There's no kind of intellectual satisfaction from, from knowing that I can do it. I just want it done because I want to focus on that very, very small thing because I have very, very limited time to work on this. And it's really cool to be able to say, ah, I need, <laughs> I need an entity that does this. It, it takes about four and a half seconds to make it work. So, um, I don't know. I, I just found it really fun, fun to play with. I felt like I was, a, you know, playing in a sandbox. So if you haven't looked at it for a while, you should have a look at it again because it, it, you know everything is kind of there for you, and it's you can go very, very far with just the free version. And then you know if your app is successful enough that you need more than whatever thirty transactions per second, you pay a little bit of money, and it's it's pretty reasonable. I mean, I think these services are fantastic. And obviously what happens here is there's a lot more people putting effort into them than you could ever do by building your own back end. Right. But then your trade your trade off there is how do you feel about someone else being responsible for your data? How do you feel about 
the fact that your application is in you know, effectively in the hands of somebody else you know if, uh, they probably won't but facebook could choose to turn pars off tomorrow and this is the same with any service be it a, a heroku or, right. or whatever it's it's that there's a balance and and i think technology wise that they are absolutely fantastic and, and far better than trying to roll your own uh but business wise yeah i don't know i'm gonna be honest i don't know what i feel you know i think when you're beginning i think you know, the fact that you could get an app up in 10 minutes on PARS or you could spend you know six months writing something equivalent to PARS for yourself, it, it, you know, that's a no-brainer. But I think you can't be naive to um, what you're using it for and how that might affect you business-wise going forward. So, so for example, you, you've got the whole thing that um, it... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, you're putting your data in somebody else's hand. That that's one consideration. But the other consideration is that yeah, if you're writing an iOS app, um, where you can't do upgrades and you're maybe charging a buck ninety nine, you know, and then suddenly you know your app gets really popular, you know, you could be ending up with some pretty big bills from some of these services. Um, you know, is your buck ninety nine uh, that you're going to get from that user going to cover their lifetime usage of the back end service you're you're using? Or are you about to lose money off every sale? <laughs> yeah, which you know I've heard is not the best way of doing business um, in there. So I think uh, as technologists, these things are fantastic. As business people, uh, I'm not sure. I think you have to. I'm, I'm saying it would depend on your app. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're selling a you know a two hundred dollar app or something, and you know the lifetime value of using a back end service is going to be ten bucks, then you know it, it's a no brainer. Um, but people, I think, do need to consider that. And um, if you have to move because of financials later on, you know, what's that going to cost you? How easy is that going to be? You've got to roll out updates. Is everybody going to take the update, divided data? So as much as I love these services for just getting stuff up and running really quickly, um, I think people have to uh, understand what they're doing. I'm not saying it's bad, but have to understand what they're doing when they... Uh, put a dependency on an external service uh, into their application. I, I, I agree. And I think there, there are three things to, to think about. One is that, you know, f you're going to face that anyway, you know, whether, whether you literally host your own hardware in somebody's cage or you mount your own kind of, you know, uh, EC2 instances, which you then still have to configure, or you go one level above that and, and use it, you know, something like uh, Heroku, or use something that, that's even kind of, you know, more abstracted, like, like Parse, you, you always kind of have to understand that risk, and, and always kind of answer the question, honestly, what do you do when this service disappears? Or what do you do when this service goes down? Because services go down all the time, Amazon's cloud has outages, and so on and so forth. So you have to do that but then you also have to kind of think about how you know the kind of the data liberation front question that's something google you know spent a lot of time working on and it was kind of a differentiating point they said you know if you're going to put stuff in in our services we'll make it very very easy for you to be able to get your data back and and haha -ha, other other services may not make that so easy um so you know to that end, one of the things you can get very simply from Parse is you want to get all your data as a, as a zip file out of it, that they make that really easy. And of course, the fact that, you know, but let's say they were just going to shut down. It's hard to believe that they would say, we're going to shut down and there's no notice. They would have to kind of say, we're going to shut down and we're giving you this notice. You need to pull that data across. And, and so one of the things that I did is that uh, I think it's a smart move that, that 
you know, everybody in, in the whole model view controller pattern, you know, you have your models and, and it's pretty typical pattern. If it's not, and you're not doing it, you should, you know, you should create your own abstract super class for your model classes. So everything I've ever written in the last numbers of years is, you know, I have, you know, MMS remote proxy or MMS per persistent object, something basically that is your, your super class for all your models. And that's where you in implement the, the convenience methods needed to be able to, to save your data, which on one hand may be saving it to core data. On the other hand, it may be making a series of, of restful calls for, for doing the create, read, update, and delete. Or if you're using a convenience backend, doing the same thing for it. And, and I did that very purposefully. And, I, and, and, and one of the things I was very happy about is that I was able to do that quite simply. So literally I have, I have an app where I have, okay, I have a recorded phrase, I have a phrase, I have a speaker, I have all the different, you know, uh, model classes that are needed to be able to make my app work. And it, 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 you can pretty much make it simple to say, do I want to save it to locally? Do I want to, using core data, do I want to save it remotely using my own REST backend? Do I want to save it using parse? And, and if you can do that, um, that kind of gives you the capability inherently to be able to, to switch services without having to change the rest of your code. I mean, that, that's what you know, MVC is supposed to be all about. You can make changes in one layer without having to rewrite the other layers. So I think that that's kind of good hygiene. But I think the second thing too, you know, sorry, the third thing is 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 probably the most important thing of all, and that's really it's the business consideration. I mean, you're right. You know, uh, you you can get this thing started going, and then you say, well, that's wonderful. Now I can have this backend app, which will make my dollar ninety nine, you know, frictionless app work. But I I, I kind of think that that you know. A client app should almost largely be free. You get it, and then you're paying for the the right to be able to use it, and it's it's on kind of a month to month basis. And yes, you might you know decide to to give somebody a discount by prepaying by a quarter or a year. Never too too far out. And uh, and I think that's the only way to do it. You have to have recurring revenue. I and mean, we've talked about this a, a bunch of times. But I think if if you think about these three things carefully, there's no reason why you can't you know get started with with one system and potentially switch to another if if you kind of hit that point in the in the price curve where uh you know it, it would it would be more cost effective for you to host your own thing but you would probably then be in a position where you have enough paying customers that you can either spend the time developing the expertise yourself or better yet find you know some developer whose passion is back end services and and hire them as a consultant to to get you up and running but it's the it, the business issues are far more uh tricky and, and require far more intention uh, attention than most software engineers tend to do right I agree. I agree totally. It's, uh, I think the point is here is neither of us are saying, you know, anything's right or wrong. What we're saying is be aware of what you're doing and think about it. Yeah. As you said, design your application that you can replace that section if you need to with the minimum amount of fuss. It, it's all about being a good um, developer, effectively, and a good business person if you are responsible for both sides of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's... Uh, I don't disagree with you in any way at all, Mr. Fox. Oh, wow. Which is a really boring way to end the show, really, isn't it? That's true. Okay, well, let's not, let's let's do one last little thing. Let's give a taunt out to our good friend, uh, Simon. I actually, I, did you purchase, I, I, he probably didn't make you purchase, but I went out purchase with my own Monet 
a copy of Avatar. No, 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 I gave him money. I, I purchased it. I went and I pressed the buy button. All right, so the, uh, so he has at uh, least... Whatever it was, I think it's $20, isn't it? So £13.99 appeared yeah. on my credit card, and I have contributed to the success of Avtag. Well, you and me. So he has at least two customers, and I, I, I wish him, as I, I told him in a private message, I'll even save it publicly. I loved giving him crap publicly, and even what I called uh, private public, meaning like, you know, at a dinner table with three or four of his colleagues talking trash about him at NS Conference. But I, I certainly wish him all yeah. the best success, uh, because I think it is a good app. And I was also very happy to, to, to give him some uh, helpful advice hopefully get, you know from from what it- yeah we'll put a link in the show notes avtag's a fantastic uh, app for uh, basically tagging video and audio and stuff like that so it's you know, the idea is say, say we were in this podcast here and john said something really insightful now uh you know you'd really want to remember that moment it doesn't happen that often and uh, you may want to come back to it at some point in the future so as you were just listening you just tag it you may put a note against it and then you, know, you can search against your tags and find things and it will take you back to that place in the audio um, or that place in the video. I mean, Simon mainly wrote it initially because after watching um, dub dub videos, there's always a section in, say, a core data video or a core animation video where they put up some tip and trick that you've, you know... Um, uh, that you think, oh, that's really, remember, I must, must remember to use that. But then you could never find it again and you can't watch hours and hours of video. So um, he'll just tag uh, the video. Um, you just, you know, go, when you're watching it, you just tag the video, put a note in of what it is there. And next time you come to see it, you'll just be able to find that place in the video and go again, which is, which is a really, really useful um, and, and cool idea because I'm I'm just looking for a place in the video right now to link to in the show notes and I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to, yeah. Okay, so this is where I've started saying, Simon, I need this now on the Mac. Get writing. Mm, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, we, we bring the threads back. Well, uh, I, I think... Seriously, congratulations. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah folks, it, it, it's a different world when the app is out there to when it's just on your hard drive. Uh, you'll treat it differently. You'll view it differently. Um, everything changes. If, if you're sat on a code base and you're you're just struggling to ship, then, you know, ship it. Just, just, you know, Stop it crashing and then ship it and then do your work afterwards. It's a better place to be in. And um, I, I think even already just a week in, Simon's uh, attitude to the application is totally different to what it was when it was still a uh, release 1.0 development project on his drive. So well done, Simon. And we don't get to do all those nasty things, which is really boring as well. So it's another boring way to end the show, isn't it? No, no, because here's here. What we are looking for now is another victim. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. We're not. Yeah, we're, we're... another victim who we can encourage over this next year or two. No, no. I think, I think, I think. You know, if nothing else, this show is about faithful. You know, about fidelity. You and I have been faithful to each other for for many, many episodes now, and I think we should faithfully continue to give crap to to, to Simon. And I think, like, you know, where's the Mac app? You know, it should be shipping like within a couple of weeks right so and where's where's the 1.1 version which fixes all the things that he inevitably wasn't able to get to so no i think we should make we could have t-shirts john done john and on the front it has it could have the avtag logo and on the back it could just say where's the mac app yeah or we could just basically it's like <laughs> you've shipped now the now the real work has begun you, you just yeah. you just completed step zero buddy <laughs>
Oh, let's give them at least a week, John, right. to get the Mac app out. Bye. Then we'll give them some. Then we'll give them some shit. Yeah. Okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. Right, oh, John, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you again. Tell people where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Findery as John Fox, and you can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And you can find out all about my delightful product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. Okay, John, I just noticed there you didn't say ADN. I you know I love ADM but I I I I never use it. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's yeah. The question is now it's gone in maintenance mode. You know, is it going away? Lots of people I think are saying, well, I'm not going to do it anymore, and so that will sort of set its fate. So it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. But anyway, we haven't got time to talk about it now, and I'm sure many, 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 many. Many, 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 many other tech podcasts will this week. So there we are. You sounded like you wanted to say something about it, John. No, that's it. No, that's I have okay, nothing cool. more to say. Um, my name is Scotty, and you can find me on Twitter as Matt Devnet. And I am still on ADN right now as Scotty, and I'm on Findery as Scott SD. And you can find the show notes to this show. Episode 115 of the iDeveloper podcast. I realise we've been just not telling people even what podcasts they're listening to for a few weeks. Um, at uh, iDeveloper.co. You can find my personal blog, still no updates, at wafflewithmeaning.com. This list gets longer. It'll be 20 minutes of the show soon, so I'm going to shut up now. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Please send us your feedback. Send us emails, uh, scotty at iDeveloper.co. Um, if you want us to, to have a conversation about the show, please do leave us um, reviews on iTunes. Um, I haven't checked them in the last couple of weeks. I must go do that. But please do that because it really helps other people find the show. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, you take care. Thank you.